This is Asia's Farm to Fork Five Good Questions podcast, bringing you insights and views from across Asia's food value chain. Now for today's interview. Hi again, everybody. I'm Duke Kemp, host of Asia's Farm to Fork Five Good Questions podcast. And uh, thanks for joining us today. We have a great uh, guest to join us uh, here in Singapore. We're joined by Mr. Timothy Lowe. Regional Director of Southeast Asia with the U.S. Soybean Export Council. Hi, Tim. Hey, Duke. Uh, thank you so much for inviting me to uh, join you on this uh, Farm to Fork uh, podcast. Thank you. Yeah, excellent. Well, we'll uh, in the spirit of the five good questions, we'll jump right into the first one, if that's okay. All right. Uh, yeah, and we'll, we'll make it uh, really simple for the first one, really uh, straightforward, sort of a softball for the first question. <laughs> and that is, uh, it's not necessarily for you, but for our audience, I think maybe, yeah. Uh, uh, important for you to know, you share a little bit about the U.S. Soybean Export Council, what it's all about, and really the role that you play here, uh, particularly in Southeast Asia. Uh, all right. Um, rather than go to the long form, I'm, I'm going to do the short form to save time for the uh, the bigger question that uh, <laughs> that follows. Um, the U.S. Soybean Export Council, uh, our head office is based in the U.S. It's, uh, it's in St. Louis. And um, USAC, as we call it in short, and I'll be calling it regularly, referring to it as USAC, uh, is a dynamic partnership of uh, industry stakeholders representing US soybean producers, processors, uh, commodity shippers, merchandisers, uh, agribusinesses, and, and um, allied agricultural organizations. Uh, of course, it's US-centric. Um, in terms of our US, uh, our Southeast Asia team, uh, in this region, I look. I'm the regional director for Southeast Asia and um, Oceania. Uh, we don't do a lot in Australia and New Zealand, but that is within uh, our area of management. And uh, in the team, we have about uh, 43 um, uh, team members, and of them, about 35 consultants that uh, operate in our key markets. And our key markets are um, Philippines, Vietnam, uh, Myanmar, Thailand. Malaysia, Indonesia, uh, and uh, I think if I missed it, I think uh, Indonesia, certainly. Um, and of course, uh, Australia and New Zealand. Um, the Singapore office has been around since 1979. Uh, some of you might not uh, be aware of that. It's, we've been, uh, the presence of uh, US soy has been in the region for, for many years, uh, working the markets, investing in its future. And, uh, and we're so pleased to be able to participate in the region's uh, development and growth uh, all these uh, uh, decades. Um, generally, our team provides food and ag knowledge sharing, technical services, market development, and, and other trade services to promote uh, US soy, uh, specifically U.S. soy, as uh, healthy and sustainable protein for food and, and feed applications. Back to you. Thanks, Sam. No, great answer. Thank you for that. I guess it's off and running. Uh, that's very helpful uh, base to work from. I want to shift a little bit into a, a topic I know you know a great deal about. It's very um, uh, top of mind here of a lot of folks, that's sustainability in food and ag specifically. And thinking back at last year, there was a big discussion. The UN led this food system summit that took place last year. It was really around looking at the 17 sustainable development goals, the SDGs in relation to how can we work together to have to ensure healthier, more sustainable, equitable food systems. And I know uh, in, in addition to that, sort of on top of that as well, sort of the, the overlapping was COVID-19, right? And, and learning a lot from this experience we've all gone through and, um, and in relation to making, uh, at the same time, food systems resilient as well, certainly, 
in the wake of that. So I'm wondering, you know, in your estimation, are there any must-haves when it comes to making global food systems or maybe here in Singapore, or maybe in the U.S., or just generally more resilient? Well, this is a very good question, and um, thank you for asking this. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm pleased in the sense that um, we've, ha- we've run a number of uh, activities, especially last year, one of, of which you were a part of, that really spoke to, to this question. And so, so what I would what I like to share is not just my opinion, but some of the accumulated opinions that came from our distinguished panelists, including yourself, which I which I really took uh, away, and it really brought a lot of uh, substance to uh, some of the uh, points that you were asking about. I think you know one of the things which came from that event, which really resonated well, was the importance to you know have the entire supply chain from uh, the farm to the cons- right down to the consumer. To get everybody on board with the integrated, you know, the ESG commitments, the environment, social, and governance commitments and accountabilities. I think we need to get everybody involved in order to have a resilient global food system. If anything at all, the COVID-19 situation has taught us how interconnected we are and how when one piece of the domino doesn't, doesn't uh, respond, the whole structure is, is compromised, is jeopardized. And, and I think what we need to do is in terms of getting a resilient um, uh, system in place, we need to really get all the key players, all the key stakeholders to come together. And as I said, you know, really embrace uh, you know, a, a set of agreed upon integrated ESG commitments and, and accountabilities. I think that's one. Um, that's one of the points that was shared, and 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 I'm sharing, I'm resharing this from uh, from our conference from last year. I thought it was a particularly good point. Um, I think the other point that sort of a would like to have, perhaps not a must have, but I would like to have is um, a situation where we need to. Um, one of the speakers, uh, their expertise was engaging with the end consumer, and she mentioned how important it was to understand consumer trends, uh, trends that's driving change, as well as you know the the local nuances uh, of you know sustainable consumer behavior. Uh, again, these last two years plus now, I think it's really shaped a new level of consumer awareness, conscious consumerism, which was another term that was shared. I won't go too much into that, but it was really interesting. And I think while we talked about how industry needs to come together, I think there needs to be industry engagement with consumer because uh, industry can go about it in a certain way, but they need to listen to what the consumers are responding to. And, and I think when we have those two playing in tune, that's when we have a really strong system. Otherwise, again, it runs a risk of being a little uh, disjointed or or not as responsive as it should be because it's not really meeting a uh, a, a need. It's not really meeting a a, a want. Um, the other thing that I thought was really interesting, uh, which I felt is another factor to consider, is in my mind it's it's one of the really key factors, and and that is establishing a credible industry accepted standard for sustainability. Uh, I think this 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 is one of the first steps that must be in place in order to uh, ensure a, a sustainable food value chain. I think that's very important, and I am very glad to say, uh, if I may, to just kind of mention that the U.S. soy industry started the Soy Sustainability Assurance Protocol, which is a which is an assurance to buyers who's who's sourcing from U.S. Uh, soybeans, soybean meal, or any soy products at all 
that when they buy that, they have that certified assurance that it's coming from a sustainable source, a sustainable supplier. And this started way back in 2013. So it's it's almost, you know, it's, it's uh, more than a decade now. Uh, and so the last thing that I'll talk about is uh, harnessing the power for, of technology. Um, this was a very powerful statement made, and, and I could not agree more. I think this is something that everybody probably could relate to of how important technology is in terms of playing a role to ensure the resilience of a uh, robust supply chain. Uh, when you have a limited resources in, in water, in land, even in inputs and so on, technology plays an important part in making sure that we're able to make the most out of the resources that we have and, and also ensuring that we do not deplete it, but also you know, ensure that there is a way to conserve it and to you know, let replenish it in a certain way or maybe find productive alternatives so that we can continue keeping the system sustainable. Uh, very thorough. Thanks for that, Sam. I, one thing you said that just stuck with me was the, the initial part of your answer around the interconnectivity between really all aspects of the food value chain. And the days are over where you sort of segment this part and this part. It's all, we know that uh, painful mm-hmm. as we've learned that, it certainly is all connected and we have to live with that and work with that. So I'll move on then to the third question and it's staying with the sustainability theme since you had a really good answer on that, that piece. I want to stay with that and talk about the SDGs a bit more. That's okay. Of course, sustainability, as we know it, it's much more than just a buzzword. It's growing. It's really more about societal expectation around knowing where does our food come from, how is it grown, and all the things that come with that. But a common misconception, maybe in that in that uh, thought process, among maybe too many, is that sustainability and greater food production are mutually exclusive. You know, of course, that's just not the case. And you just touched on innovation as uh, something that's come up uh, as a as a key driver for sustainability uh, in that. So in your opinion, how, how important are innovation and technology in making that possible? And particularly, as you've noted, with respect to U.S. soybean producers, processors, commodity shippers, and so forth. Oh, you, I could give you a very short answer to that. It's extremely, <laughs> it's extremely important. I, I would bring your participation from last year. Uh, I think you articulated it best. Uh, you know, it's, it's front and center. It's, it's critical. I, in, in any food system, uh, you can't keep taking. You need to find ways to manage it. You need to find ways to replenish it. You need to find ways to um, make sure that uh, it continues. You, you continue to have it. And the, one of the ways to do that, aside from importing, to keep buying, to keep consuming, which has a lifespan, is through, through uh, technology, to, to ensure using science, using technology, technology, using new innovations in the way food and crops are produced and processed and managed to ensure that, you know, there is that continuous supply, that this reliable, you know, and relating back to the first question, reliable and resilient uh, supply system. To your question of how, you know, important these factors are, Across that whole spectrum of players in the in the supply chain, I'll just I'll just mention about the U.S. producers, if I may. I'll bring it back to uh, to the area that we are familiar with, and it really is technology and innovation that allows U.S. growers to to do what they do today, uh, especially in uh, the U.S. Technology helps the U.S. growers to to advance their yields, to increase their production. But I'll say also for the U.S. producers, it's it's always a balance of priorities as well. 
on, on one side to increase fruit production to you know feed a growing population, ensuring good quality, good value, and at an affordable price. I think that's very important. One of the themes in the last couple of years has been food insecurity, right? I mean, so it needs to be competitive. It needs to be affordable while maintaining the other priority of of making sure that you you are you know keeping your land healthy, uh, preserving resources so that you can continue to uh, produce and not piece of land and and pass that land on to the next generation of producers you know to your family and so on and so on. So there's always that there is these two priorities, and and these two priorities really go hand in hand. They complement each other, and so this requires a lot of forward thinking on our produced. U.S. growers, um, and you know, they're always thinking of new things, trying new technology, applying new uh, systems, uh, farming systems, and uh, equipment. So that's where innovation and technology is so critical in U.S. agriculture. Unlike some other regions, uh, the U.S. does have a fair sizable arable land, but at the same time, you know, it, it there, there are limits. But uh, you know, I guess what I will mention is it continues to grow. Uh, in production. And the reason why it continues to grow in production is because of, you know, um, the way the farmers are practicing precision agriculture, adopting new technologies like global positioning systems, sensors, monitors for irrigation, planting, fertilizer, equipment, uh, just to mention a few. Uh, I'm not a producer myself, so I, I feel sort of out of place to talk about this. But, you know, I, I've been privileged to be able to sort of engage with many of our growers. And so that some of that has rubbed off on me. Uh, so that's just a whole variety of technology options that improve uh, our producers' farming operations from drones to weather monitoring systems and more. And, and these technologies keep improving uh, and, it, and it keeps adding value to uh, the production uh, uh, practices. So finally, to, I, mean, I guess to the rest of the supply chain, innovation, technology, and investment, the, the, the other group of people, I think it's also very important for these other players to increase their production and processing uh, increase product value and, and get the goods to the buyers at a cost that's as effectively and, and affordable as possible. I think each section of the supply chain has their own ways and means to apply the new technologies coming up. So I'll, I'll just end there. Yeah, no, it's great. I mean, you, I was just thinking, you mentioned the presence of U.S. soy here in uh, in this region. It goes back to the 70s. And I can only imagine the progress and the, you know, the amount of innovation technology that we've seen in that period of time since it was in all those years. So um, no, it's a, it's a great answer. Um, I'd like to touch Era. You know, our fourth question, getting into another topic of, of particular relevance with food production, climate change. You know, certainly it's uh, um, uh, data points all around us every day that, that point to the challenge farmers are facing, the entire, entire food value chain is facing really, impacts of climate change. So I wanted to talk about, in particular, there was a UN, again, Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, the IPCC released a really um, insightful report last August on this and really pointing out that uh, the, the irreversible climate changes that's, that's happening and the rapid actions and global cooperation that are really needed to uh, to help uh, pull us through. And in fact, I think I read today, there's a new IPCC report coming out. So it's uh, it just continues to go on. And the data points are, as I said, pretty, pretty compelling. Well, and we see that certainly here in Asia, right, around the mm. effect of climate change is having on food production. But of course, you can see the disruption being caused around the world. So I'd like to get your take maybe on um, you know, what can food value chains do to help? What should we be doing? What's the way forward? I think the map is there. I think the blueprint is there. I think with the UN Sustainability Development Goals, you know, we have a great blueprint there. 
the takeaway from COP26 was also pretty significant. Uh, of course, action is what counts. I think that's one of the things that everyone is looking forward to, implementation. So, you know, what can stakeholders do to help? Uh, I think with the blueprint, with the, you know, with the science-based studies that's been done on what can be done, uh, I, I think certainly um, we need the industry to, to sit up and take note. Uh, all the industries, uh, not just on the ag industry, but just across the board, not just the food industry alone can make that needed impact. I think uh, many industries need to um, take responsibility and, and play their role and their part. You know, when we think about the stakeholders across the food value chain, there's just so many uh, players in the food value chain. And I think I bring back, I go back, I guess I go back to an earlier point uh, before I ended the last question is that each stakeholder operates in, in their certain area. And, and they know what they can do with that blueprint, with those information. And so everyone is sort of, um, they can do different things to add on to the food value chain to help uh, these climate concerns and, and try to mitigate the impact of uh, the concerns over climate change. You know, what are some of the takeaways of the uh, COP26? There was talk about reducing methane. There was talk about economies, countries jointly tackling climate change with cooperation, I think, within their trade. Uh, there was talk about, you know, um, reduction of coal usage. And there was also talked about how, you know, there was going to be a finance uh, platform to support uh, decarbonization and businesses to move towards uh, zero emission. Um, so there's just a lot of discussion on that. Uh, the two things that stood out for us, number one, was global deforestation reduction. I think that is critical. That's absolutely critical. That's really, honestly, that's where the U.S., has really made its mark. The U.S. has has really put itself in a position where you know uh, setting goals to reduce uh, greenhouse gas emissions, always looking for improvement in uh, ways to increase biodiversity, uh, energy management, and particularly in this case, land use. Uh, when you look at the economic area, market access and uh, direct economic performance. You know, in the U.S., you, you see that the U.S. has done a tremendous amount of work to ensure that, you know, the, the three things, water, soil, environmental management are, are well taken care of. OK, um, and, you know, perhaps a little trivia here between, you know, between 1980 to 2017, uh, the U.S. actually increased its uh, forest land by, you know, over two million hectares and reduce cropland by, you know, 21 million hectares. Of course, um, this is a very uh, familiar statistics. We, we, we show it, we tell our customers, uh, we tell the industry that the U.S. is serious about participating in ensuring that we arrest the negative impacts of uh, climate change. You know, I think on the, from the U.S. point of view, that's, that's what uh, the producers uh, are doing. Um, but again, I think for the other players in the value chain, there are certainly things that they can do. I mean, everybody is sort of kind of doing something uh, differently, but the blueprints are there. Good answer. Well, we've come to the last question. And with this, we wanted to pivot a little bit. We've talked about some very serious issues and some big challenges, climate change, sustainability, resiliency, the food system. So with this question, we usually just like to maybe let you think a bit, a bit about the future, right? Look into the crystal ball and think about maybe there's a good development, something, some progress you think is going to be made in the next five to 10 years or so. And something you might want to share that you think, uh, as you look forward, might be realized. 
Mm. Um, I'm looking at the 10 year time span. Um, I, I would I would have looked at it at a shorter time span, but with COVID, I think the next couple of years, the, we're going to be playing catch up. I think you're going to get a tremendous amount of uh, uh, economic activity um, that you know really needs to sort of kind of get a lot of things ramped up uh, again. Um, I, I think within this 10 year time frame, um, I think the food and agriculture value chain will make significant progress towards uh, sustainable food production and consumption. I, I, I think I do believe that. And of course, this is this is in one of the um, UN Sustainable Development Goals. Um, and uh, we already see that happening right now. I mean, it's already going on. This increased regulatory framework is already it's being developed. Perhaps not in a lot many countries, but in some countries, in some countries, it's moving a lot quicker than others. And basically, to ensure you know some the, the stakeholders, the businesses in that country are meeting environmental, social, and governance requirements. Right? Uh, we already see that. Um, the other thing is there is this tranche of funds available to for for sustainable businesses. You know, it it it's really from a business perspective, it's business critical. If if a, if you are a company that's looking for, you know, investors, if you're looking for a company that wants to, you know, progress and you need you need funding, you need investors. If you wish to gain from you know that recognition of being a sustainable concern in the industry, uh, you need to make that pivot. You need to make that change if you have not already done so. And then of course there's the, that um, the innovation and technology that we talked about and the transfer of information and knowledge and information. I think it's going to accelerate. I think we are we're living in this period of time where the the, the speed of information, the the pace of information and technology transfer is unprecedented. Uh, so I that's a good thing. Uh, I think so. I think it's going to really accelerate, and I think it will be you know it will be there. It will be made available for businesses and industries to become more sustainable, to develop their own sustainable pathways if they choose to do it. I think if you think back, you know, earlier on when uh, the word sustainability was a very popular word, but it wasn't really adopted. People talked about it, uh, but almost in the altruistic sense. Um, but you think about it, it, it wasn't that well defined for some countries, for some industries, although the information was clear and was there. I think many countries are now more motivated to be very serious about sustainability. And so they're going to find and you know avail of this information that's out there. And so their level of progression is going to be a lot faster. You know, it's not something new. It's already out there. It's very well established. We've got the blueprint with the SDG. We've got, you know, the takeaways from the COP, you know, 26. There's just a lot of good uh, uh, information out there for uh, countries and companies to make reference from if they do want to pivot. So there's really no excuse. Uh, uh, you, funding is there as well. Um, and so I, I, I do think Within that 10-year time frame, this is one, you know, again, I, I, I do think that progress towards sustainable food production and consumption is one thing that's going to really um, that's that that's going to grow. That's going to that's going to meet uh, perhaps its benchmark if there is one. Um, I, I just I would just kind of end saying that you know, US producers understand the importance of sustainable farming, um, having experienced the Dust Bowl in the 1930s. And so that was a harsh lesson for the USO industry. Sustainability has been a long journey, and this journey continues. Uh, in the USO industry, you know, the, the, the growers have continued to improve. And this is one of the points that I want to make to end my comment is that you, you can't stop. Sustainability is not 
a uh, it's a, not a destination, it's a journey. And you you said that I, I was kind of looking through some of my you know uh, the material from last year, and and this was one thing that you said that really struck uh, that that all important uh, chord that I hope everybody is kind of listening to because that's the way the U.S. growers are looking at it. If I may just kind of take a minute to mention that you know from a field to market report that was recently published 2021. Since 1980, they've been tracking this. And U.S. soy farmers have reduced greenhouse gas emissions by 42%. They have uh, been energy efficient and reduced energy use by 45%. Um, They've also uh, increased their land use efficiency by 47%, soil conservation 35%. And and all this, you know, with all this going on, all this action that they are taking, they've actually increased crop production by 130%. So, you know, it is possible. You can do more with less if you use technology and you use the blueprints uh, that's already out there. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's a great answer. Thanks, Tim. I mean, hard to argue. There's progress there, most certainly. And I think uh, we'd all agree that would be a great outcome if, if, if we realize that in the future, as you said, that's sort of the, the next big step for sustainability in the food system. So, well, with that, we, we've wrapped it up and you're officially off the five good questions hot seat. Tim, thanks for joining us today. We look forward to staying in touch and hopefully doing it again soon. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. And if you did, please rate, review, and subscribe. We look forward to bringing you another Five Good Questions interview 